Awesome. That was, that was really interesting for me this morning. It's my first time here. And uh, you know something? It took me back to 1979. Who remembers 1979? 1979, we started an outreach at Wollstone. And, you know, Margaret, you were there which is pretty awesome, which is, you know, isn't it amazing? Here's someone who, that's nearly 40 years ago. I was three at the time, and Margaret, you were two, I think, weren't you? Yeah. And um, 1979, and so it also took me back to 1987. Who was around in 1987? Actually, a lot of faces here are with us when we started the church, which wasn't called La Vida back then, but Life Church back in 1987. And here, many of you have come to help start this church, here in 2001. Where are we? 218. Yeah. Just testing. Just making sure. I know Lincoln people are really with it, you know, so I thought I'd better. I live out here, so I've got to say that. I've got to check that. But isn't that incredible? And it's a great joy to be here. What a what wonderful thing has happened. This is week 11, 10, 9, 12, 10. Cool. The best week yet, isn't it? So it's great to be here today. And uh, I'm the floundering pastor of the church back at. La Vida, um, and it's, it's interesting. Oh, Jill, you stand, darling, because some probably don't know you, which is, Jill's coming next week to speak anyway, so you're in for a treat next Sunday because Jill's preaching. I'm going to go back into town, I think, next week. Oh, no, I might come. I, I don't know yet. <laughs> Great. Some of you are wondering, why is this white-haired old fella sort of standing out here today? And uh, the other funny thing is that last week, if you're in town, bad luck, you're hearing the same message again, which is really, really fantastic. And, um, and it's the same message, same jokes. None yet so far, but some of the others might be. Same illustrations, same clothes, actually. So nothing's different. But um, I actually, I've worn them all week, and they've done all right so far, so it's okay. Yeah. Anyway, here we go. We're really starting now. Is that all right? Don't start timing me till... Nah. Jill and I recently had an overseas trip, and some of you know that. We were away for five and a half weeks, and we had a great time. And the end of that trip, we went to Croatia and had an eight-day cruise around the islands of Croatia. Very beautiful part of the world. Actually, everywhere in the world is beautiful. And so wonderful, except day two in the trip, which was the Monday, they said there was a wind coming, so the captain said, we'll just get into port, and we got into port, and someone had taken our berth. So instead of getting our normal berth, we had to go out to the breakwater out here and moor on the breakwater. And 10 minutes after we got there, about midday, this huge wind struck us side on. So we, you know, we tied up to the wharf, to the berth, uh, to the breakwater, and the wind's howling in this way. And it was 120 kilometers an hour, gusting sometimes way up to 180. And so here's this, this boat sort of side on, you know, and over the next few hours, it was going from violent to very strong back to violent, and deck chairs blew overboard, and life jackets disappeared, and kayaks disappeared, and the upstairs canopy smashed, and all sorts of amazing things happened. And um, so it went on and on. But we were up in the dining room when it started. And on these boats, because they're only small, you've got to get outside from the dining room and get down the stairs on the outside and down to where your cabin is and open the outside door to get in. But because of the wind, you can imagine the, the force of the wind trying to open and close doors was... Really, very difficult. Quite three people to try and help you, to, two other people plus you, to try and open the door to get through safely and get it shut behind you when you were feeling it was even safe enough to do so. So we got down to our cabin eventually, 
And we're stuck there for six hours in our cabin. And you know, we could hear the crashing and the crashing, and, the, and we thought it was waves, but it was act- we thought it was uh, rain, but it was actually waves and sea spray hitting the side and coming in under the door and around the door. And you know, it was really quite an exciting occasion. But the problem was, all the rest of Monday, all Monday night, all Tuesday, all Tuesday night, through to Wednesday morning, it continued. And on Tuesday, they said to us, and we even then again managed to get either up to the dining room or back down to your cabin or whatever, and they said, we might have to stay here even longer. So some people were saying, I want to go home, you know. I don't know how they could have done that, but that's okay. <laughs> and so here's a photo of the lovely place we were at, by the way, which was founding Pastor Paul Bennett. Oh, that's, yeah, cool. Yeah, this is this was where it was. So you can see that the wind hit the mountain, a bit like the Norwester, and comes speeding down the other side and, of course, hits this town. But this is what the boat looked like. Someone on shore took a photo um, that wasn't part of us, and someone zoomed in at some stage, and they put it on the front page of the local newspaper saying, you too could have been in a boat like this yesterday or something like that. So that was us, you know. And um, gradually, by the morning of the Wednesday, the wind died down, and we left about 10.30 in the morning. Now, those 42 hours being stuck on the breakwater seemed forever. You can imagine that, can't you? In fact, you thought it was never going to end, and it was a little bit unnerving and unsettling, and of course we missed out some of the beautiful ports we were supposed to go to, so it could have ruined our holiday, but you know, it didn't really, and, uh, but now it's great for a story, right? And it's going to go to chapter 6 in my book after weird people I've known, chapter 5, you know, which is sort of, it's cool. Only one chapter. Yeah, the family isn't in that chapter. The family's in the earlier chapter, yeah. But of course, it's nothing like Many of the problems and difficulties we go through in life, right? And some things in life are really horrendous. They go on maybe for years, health problems, um, financial difficulties, relationship breakdowns, numbers of things are really, really things that come against our lives. And in the midst of those sorts of circumstances, I've had people come to me sometimes and say this, I don't know how I would have got by without my faith in God. How do people that don't know Jesus, how do they cope? And some of you may have even said that yourself sometimes. Here's my question today. How do you cope when tough times come? And I want us to turn to verses on the screen this morning of an incident in the life of David. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but just a few selected verses. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And here it tells us in the first couple of verses, David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, and they found that the Amalekites raided it, had crushed Ziklag, and burned it to the ground. They'd carried off the women and the children and everyone else. It's an undoubtedly horrendous day, correct? It's, not, it's worse than getting in a 42-hour windstorm for, you know, in Croatia. It's a horrendous day for these men. They've lost their families, their homes, their city, their belongings, all in one moment of time. And in our lives, we can go through many difficult times, but I really hope that not many of us have to go through such a tragedy as this one. In the early days of our church, I think you guys remember Winifred, don't you? There was a lady called Winifred, lovely old lady called Winifred, and, and she was one of those ladies who encouraged you, and she always had a smile on her face and was you know, just a great lady of faith. And yet you wouldn't have realized that her life was really difficult. And her husband had extreme health problems for years, and he got to the stage where his kidneys weren't working, and he was 
had to be on dialysis, and I can't remember whether it was once or twice a week, but Winifred was in charge of the dialysis process. This is over 30 years ago now. And she would have to hook her husband up to the dialysis machine, and it would, you know, suck the blood out somehow and put it through the machine to purify it and then pump it back in again on the other side. And this would take eight hours. And Winifred would sit up with him. It was overnight, eight-hour process, and she would be in charge of this whole process. And sometimes she said the alarms would go off, something major had gone wrong, and they'd have to you know, do all sorts of stuff, and I don't really understand all of that. And I said to her, how did you cope in those situations? And she said to me, Paul, I would pray and I would worship and praise all night long. I thought that was awesome. And um, this went on for over 10 years. And at that time, he had been on dialysis longer than anyone I understand in Canterbury, as I say, 30 years ago. As a young pastor, I was a young pastor once, remember that? I remember visiting her, and I would come away from my visits with Winifred feeling more encouraged than she could have from my visit to her. Just one of those people. And I would sometimes say, you know, it's been a bit difficult at church lately, and because I knew she prayed and I'd share something. And she'd say to me often, Paul, this too will pass. And I'd have thought, you know, if someone else came along and said, Paul, this too will pass, I'd go, mm, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's just a stupid little thing to say. But someone who had gone through what she had gone through, I really understood what she was saying. And using her, um, and I think in the days in, in Croatia, I was thinking, this too better pass, you know. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I've got good news and bad news this morning. And the bad news is this. There will be many occasions in our lives when we'll face difficulties and problems and things will come and we'll go, is this ever going to get better? Is it ever going to change? Is there, will I ever get through this? But using Winifred's words, the good news is this too will pass, right? If it doesn't change here on earth, it will definitely change one day in heaven, won't it? Because this is not our final destiny. We are destined to be with the Lord forever when our faith and trust is Him. So our trials and problems on earth one day will be over, whether here or forever. You don't agree with me on that. Your theology might not be quite the same as mine, but that's, you know, we're passing through to the eternal destiny God has for us. But let's go back to David. 1 Samuel 30. What happened next? They found the city in ruins, and here in verse 3 it tells us, when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. NIV says they wept aloud until they had no more strength left to weep. That's a pretty graphic description of grief, isn't it? And, um, you know, big, do- big boys don't cry. Who's ever heard that stupid thing? A lot of nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. Needs to be thrown out the door with lots of other stupid little bits of nonsense. And when you look through the Bible, you find that a lot of men and women of faith wept at some stage or other. God made us to feel things, right? We feel anger. We feel joy. We feel frustration. We feel sadness. We can feel peace. And all of these things are very important to us. And I think people who are told to suppress these emotions, it's a very unhealthy thing in our life because it denies our humanity. It's a very healthy thing to express how we're feeling and to go ahead and weep at times. But for poor old David, it even got worse. Look what happened. I'm jumping down to verse 6. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters and they began to talk of stoning him. Wow, that's something else, isn't it? Not only is David dealing with the tragedy of what all of the guys are dealing with, 
But now, above all that, they are getting so bitter and so angry, they're turning against him, and in their grief, they are wanting to kill him. What a horrendous thing for David to face. Here we had 600 men with David, the Bible tells us in the chapter before, I think it is. So you've got 600 men plus David, that's 601. So out of 601, only one person somehow knew how to get through this bitterness and grief and hopelessness that was uh, facing them right now. How did he do that? Well, the rest of the verse in verse 6 says that David found strength in the Lord his God. You might have a translation which says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. How did he do that? And I found as I looked through these verses, it doesn't specifically tell us how he actually found strength, how he encouraged himself, but you see the results of what he did and what happens next. But I looked at the back of his life, and if you look at it, in Psalms he wrote, you get some keys and some idea of what he really did to um, learn how to encourage himself or find strength in God. There's a pattern that emerges from David's writings. Let's look at a really familiar psalm. Is that okay? Cool. Psalm 103. Who knows this psalm? Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And forget not all his benefits. And then he goes on for the next 17 verses and lists those benefits that he's telling himself not to forget about. And he comes back in verse 22 again to say, Praise the Lord, my soul. Now, you know, so the message translation says it this way. It says, and you, my soul, bless God. Now, I don't know about you, but I get this picture of a sergeant major with his new recruits, right? And you know what a sergeant major's like? Who's ever, oh, Brian, you've been, you were in the army once, weren't you? You know what this, who else has been in a military situation? A few of you, you know what a sergeant major, I hope I'm not sergeant majors, I hope this is okay. And the sergeant major goes, you, you know, do up your shoelaces, or something, or you, Stand up straighter. You know. Or you, 50 more press-ups, double time. You know, you. And here Paul, here's Paul. That's me. Is it me? Yeah, it's me. David is saying, you know, here's that saying, and you, my soul, bless God. Right? He's commanding his soul to bless God. You, my soul, bless God. Did you even realize you can speak to your soul? That was a good note, wasn't it? Soul. Did you even know you could command your soul? And even more than that, did you realize it's really important sometimes to take control of your soul, what it's telling you to do, and command it to do something different? At La Vida, lots of people looked at me funny at that point in time. But none of you are here, which is really good, I must tell them. This is so one. We're all good out here. Define good. Oh, we all look good out here. Yeah, brilliant. Here's David in the biggest crisis of his life to date. Here he is facing, he's lost his family, he's lost his town, he's lost his home, he's lost everything else, and now his guys have turned against him, and he's returning to a pattern that it seems he's discovered in his life was a, a great key that he proved many, many times. And in these moments, his life's hanging in the balance, and he's saying to himself, come on, soul, Praise the Lord. I command you to start remembering all his benefits and all his blessings that you've had in your life. And the message says, don't forget one single blessing. And so I can just picture David at that moment, sort of thinking, those moments going, 
you, what, what has God done for me? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he delivered me from the bear. I remember that. Yes, come on, soul. Praise the Lord. What else has God done? Um, oh, yep, yep. He, he delivered me from the lion. Come on, soul, I command you. Praise the Lord. Oh, and there was that time with that when Goliath, you know, and, and he helped me and he, and he helped me defeat Goliath. Come on, soul. Praise the Lord. And he goes on and on. And, and soul, come on, we sang this great song. It was new to me, this one. Number, number three, two, three, or whatever it was in there. Has anyone else sung that here before? Or is that new for everyone? Okay, you picked that well for this message, right? Oh, good on you. There are some good family members here, aren't there? It's really cool. And so he's saying, because you delivered me from the bear and the lion and Goliath, my soul, don't you think now God can come to your aid right at this moment and help you through this situation? Don't you think he'll continue to be with you in the dark times of your life? Come on, soul, with everything within you, praise the Lord. Well, some of you are saying, well, Paul, Psalm 103 is a, a cheerful psalm. He wasn't going through anything. Well, you, you're right. It doesn't take you long to find some psalms where David was going through something. Have you discovered that? Here's one. Psalm 42, verse 5. Doesn't sound too happy here. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Now here's David having a conversation with himself again. He's talking to his soul again. Say, so come on, so why are you so discouraged? Come on, so wh- why are you feeling so down? You know, what's going on in there? David's doing some self-examination. Perfectly good thing for him to do. And when you get to the context of this verse, we realize he actually has every reason to feel as bad as he does. But let's jump back to verse 1, because I went to the end before the beginning, because it was a, seemed a good thing to do. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Now, when a, when a deer is panting for, for water, it's at a desperate stage. It's probably facing dehydration. It's not just a little bit thirsty. It's, I, I need water. You know? So he's saying, as a, as a deer is really desperate for water, I'm desperate for you, God. My soul thirsts for God. Where can I go and meet with God? Now, just pausing here for a moment, it tells me somehow... He is nowhere where he can go and worship. He's nowhere near the temple at this moment of time. He wants to go and meet with God somewhere. Then he says, my tears have been my food, not my flood, but they could have been a flood. My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Doesn't that show you that there are some people that are really taunting him and getting at him, where's your God now, David? You know, this thing you're facing, where's your God? Where is your God? All day long, people are saying, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festal throng. Festive throng. He's desperately missing, isn't he, other others to worship God with. So you get the picture. Somehow David's going through something really big here, isn't he? He's either an exile or he's running as a refugee somewhere. He's among foreigners who don't believe in God. He's maybe hiding from King Saul as he had two numbers of times because he's wanting to kill him. Whatever it is, he's away from home. He's away from the temple. He's with people that are taunting him about his God. And he's desperate for fellowship with other believers right now. I think he has reason to feel discouraged, don't you? Let's get back to verse 5 again. So he says, I don't even, there's no, oh, is there, oh, there is a thing up there. Oh, cool. 
13, 22, 21. Good, thank you. I was looking at the wrong place. Going back to verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And he doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Here he is. He's commanding his soul again. Soul, put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Come on, soul. Put your hope in God again. Come on, soul. Praise God again. Hope in God. Praise him. Come on, soul. Hope in him. Praise him. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. That's a great key that David patterns here for us. And the second is found in a couple of verses later in this same chapter. In verse 8, it says, David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. In other words, he stirred himself to pray. I don't know about you, but I find every day I face situations, every opportunity is every day, lots of opportunities every day to be discouraged or downcast, or at least to be grumpy anyway, or be out of sorts. Anyone else like that? There's lots of things that can make you feel grumpy in the day. But then there are other times in our lives when things are decidedly very grim, right? There are really tough things we face, we can, and we can, we can feel deeply, we, we, and sometimes it feels unbearable because of what we're facing, and and we can go through loss of a loved one or grief in that area or other things that are really, really tough in our lives. And we feel like our feelings can be really stirred up. We can, we can, we can even react. We can be angry. We can, we can be very sad. We can feel despondent. We can all, and all these things are real and normal because we're human beings. It's part of our humanity. It's very important that we own our reactions to be healthy. And all that's the role of our soul. Is that the signal to stop? No, I'm just joking. It's cool, isn't it? All that's the role of our soul. Our feelings come from our soul. Our soul the soul being the, the seat of our emotions, our mind, and our will. So the soul is the seat of our emotions, our mind, and our will. We feel with our soul, and we think with our soul, and we imagine with our soul, all those things. But I've discovered sometimes about my soul that it can want to control me. It can want me to get very negative and stay in my negative place. It sort of wants me to, to hang on to some of my feelings and, and just live in them for too long. And, and sometimes it's my feelings, my soul with its feelings can get out of control. It can, my thoughts and my imaginations can run away with me. Anyone else ever met anyone like that? Probably no one in Selwyn. Lots of them in La Vida are like that. And it affects all that I do. If I'm not careful. So when, when my anxieties and my fears become illogical, it's often a product of my imaginations in the area of my mind and emotions. And those times my soul says to me, I don't feel like praying. And my soul says to me, and I certainly don't feel like praising God. My feelings are actually being very unhelpful. They're actually being, my soul is being a little bit unreliable in my life right now. What can I do about that? And this is where David helps us. David the shepherd, David the psalmist, David the king, David the man after God's own heart. He teaches us this vital lesson. Here it is. In the midst of difficult times, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of anything that's coming against our lives in any way, there comes a moment when we need to speak 
to our soul and command our soul, come on soul, it's time to hope in God. Come on soul, it's time to praise God. Come on soul, it's time to call out to God in prayer. In Psalm 34, 1 and 2, he says this, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. There's three times in those those two verses. I will, I will, I will. He's saying, come on, soul, I'm going to do it. Come on, soul, it's time to praise. Come on, soul, it's time to pray. Come on, soul, it's time to boast. Then a few verses later, he says in verse 6, in my desperation, I prayed. And the Lord answered, he saved me from all my troubles. There it is, his praise and his prayer. Psalm 138, 1 to 3, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart before the gods. I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple. will praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. And you can find it over and over again in the Psalms. Prayer and praise. Praise and prayer. David's pattern and all things he went through. It's more than David's pattern because it appears right throughout the Bible through the Old and the New Testament. And I've discovered that it's, if something's in the Old and the New Testament right through the Bible, it's more than a pattern. It's a biblical principle. And if it's a biblical principle, it means something that will work not just for David back all that long time ago, but it will work for me today. Good old Winifred knew about that. And those tough times and those hours in the night, Paul, I'd pray and I'd praise and I'd worship. You know, it's one of the mysteries of our walk with God and our relationship with God. Often in our most difficult times of life, in our times of discouragement and all those times that come and grief that comes in our lives, we can have a fresh revelation of something of God. His faithfulness, we sang about it earlier, His great love and His faithfulness. I tell you, when we command our soul to praise, we command it to pray, we command it to worship, no matter what we're going through, our soul gets in tune with God and hope and faith rise up in us. Last year, 2017, I saw a couple of really good movies. One was called Dunkirk and one was called Darkest Hour. Anyone else see any of those movies? Both dealing with a similar period in history, the Dunkirk evacuation. Great movies. If you haven't seen them, have a look at them. The only disappointment for me about both of those movies is that neither of them gave the real story about the success of the Dunkirk evacuation. Because in May 1940, World War II had been going for nine months at this time and it started September 39. And the Allied troops were all but done. They were really being defeated, the German um, forces and those forces had really just beaten them back to the shores of Belgium and France on the English Channel, and they were facing certain defeat, in fact, probably complete annihilation. And the only thing that they could think of doing uh, back in England was, we've somehow got to try and evacuate as many as possible, and there's, there's probably at least half a million over there that we have to try and rescue, but if we can get 20,000 or 30,000 that, that, that'll be great. We can save at least them. But the king of England, King George the Smith, <laughs> George the Smiths, the Smiths are up there. He was King George the Sixth. 
No, it's not time to finish it, Paul, but popular opinion might say otherwise. King George VI, he realized the absolute desperation of the situation, and on May the 25th, a Saturday, he called the nation to prayer, a day of prayer the following day. In fact, the Wuwet Commonwealth uh, nations as well, and some of the others around the world I've discovered joined in on that day. And so on the 26th of May, Sunday, millions of people flocked to churches right throughout Britain. In fact, when you read this history account, you find that there were so many people flocking to pray that they were turned away and they were all on the streets and couldn't get into the church. The king himself went to Westminster Abbey with some of the cabinet ministers to pray. And millions upon millions prayed for God to intervene. At the same time, a call went out to get as many boats as were possible to try and get over to rescue some of the thousands of people that, were, that could be rescued and brought back to England. Now, this is what happened. For some reason, Hitler ordered the halt of the armored forces, and, and, and his generals were telling him not to do that, but he decided, he said, no, the Air Force, the Luftwaffe, will be able to defeat them and get all, get, do this without, the, without the, um, the land forces. So for some reason, they stopped. Two days after the day of prayer on the Tuesday, a furious storm broke out over Flanders, and it was so bad that the Luftwaffe could not get off the ground. There was no way the planes could fly. But at the same time, this furious storm that was raging meant the men could march along the beach and get right to the coastline. Thousands upon thousands of them, under the cover of the storm, were able to get ready to be rescued. Tuesday, Wednesday, an amazing calm came across the English Channel. They say that it was like a, a mill pine, or like glass. And it allowed over 800 boats to ferry back and forth, little ones to big ones, back and forth, taking soldiers back to England. By the time the German army then was ordered to attack again, an incredible 338,000 troops had been rescued and evacuated and taken to safety back into England. The phrase, the miracle of Dunkirk, painted started to be bandied about. In fact, Winston Churchill himself started to use those words. And on Sunday, the 9th of June, which was two weeks after the day of national prayer, the king declared a national day of thanksgiving, where millions again flocked into churches across the nation to thank God for his intervention. Prayer and praise. Praise and prayer. Two wonderful biblical principles. Listen, don't let your soul dictate your worship, your praise, and your prayer. If I did that, I would hardly ever pray. If I did that, I would hardly ever praise. Because there are many occasions I don't feel like it at all, right? But instead, let your worship and your praise and your prayer dictate to your soul. Talk to your soul. Command your soul. Soul, pray. Come on, Paul. Cry out to God. Command your soul. Worship. Come on, Paul. Worship. Lift your hands and your heart to the Lord. Come on, soul. Praise. Come on, Paul. Praise God. See, when we do that, we're not just in tune with a pattern that David discovered. We're locking into that proven biblical principle. You know something? My circumstances might change or my circumstances may not change. But I tell you what, when we pray and we praise in the midst of what God is, what's coming against our life, and God comes and we are transformed in the midst of what is happening because we're locking in 
is something that God has given us, two keys that we can hold on to right throughout our lives. I wonder if we could just stand for a moment, ask the team to come back. I took the signal from the siren. Close our eyes for a moment before we start to sing or do anything else. And it's been great for a moment for each of us to say, Lord, is there anything you want to speak into my heart today? So lots of words Paul spoke, something that's registered beyond anything he said. Holy Spirit, what is there you want to say into my life today? Might be something totally away from what I've even said. But let's just for a moment, before we even make another noise, let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts this morning. What does he want to cement into your soul, into your spirit, and take by faith this morning? Father, we come to you this morning and we, we thank you. We, each of us here, to some degree or other, can look back even today like David and said, remember all your blessings. Remember what you've done. Lord, you've done such wonderful things in our lives. And the longer we live, the more we see your hand through the midst of our darkest times. We have been amazed you didn't leave us alone we felt like you were at times but we look back and see your hand weaving through the midst of our situations and we want to thank you for that this morning father today we are praying that your holy spirit would help us to lock into what david locked into lord help me with my to take control of my soul at those times when it wants to take control of me and say soul praise god soul worship him in the midst of of your difficulty. So call out to him, the one who can do all things exceedingly abundantly, more than we can imagine with our soul, or think with our soul, or even dare ask you to do more than all of that, because you're almighty God, and we thank you, we worship and we praise you and serve you.